0: Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready, so let us begin.
1: This week, the story is about the blurred line between hero and villain. In fact, uh, to no one is this line blurrier than the hero and the villain himself. Uh, themselves. themselves. If you buy into the ideology uh, of dark side corruption, and it's unique ability to convert members of the Skywalker lineage into different people altogether, then indeed you view Anakin and Vader as two different characters altogether. So this week, we're counting down our top six favorite moments featuring each of them. Uh, Ross, I'm going to focus mostly on on Darth Vader tonight, uh, and you're going to talk about Anakin Skywalker. Why do you think it's easier to see these two characters as we see them, As different people than it is for other good guys who become bad guys in other movies do you understand like why is it special that their moral transition in fact uh distinguishes them as different people altogether
0: i think you made a really good point on the fact that more so than to anyone it's Anakin who believes that and Anakin's the one who's trying to or or Vader is the one who's trying to better yet enforce that on the rest of the the galaxy to let them to to really distinguish that they are not one and the same uh, but in other views, you can see that they are one and the same. This uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi show will show them as being one and the same in a certain light. And he's had interactions with Ahsoka that do the same. And then of course, when he turns back to the light, you can kind of see the fact that there is still good in him. And that's always the, the kind of key divide, but it is important to see them as the two because that's what Vader is so deeply trying to uh, portray. He doesn't even want to uh, even Acknowledge that Anakin exists, and so for him, it he Vader believes that he has killed Anakin. Uh, it's just a matter of the fact that Anakin has not died and kind of clung on as a little bit within Vader. And so, although it is this this one being, they they do have uh, two very distinct uh, personalities. I mean, it's very obvious, but it's. You can see the common threads of Anakin becoming Vader, but once his mind is made up, it's made up and nothing changes. If you are not with me, you are my enemy. And then, boom, that changes everything. He switches on a dime. And so, because he's such a black and white person, then, well, in this case, it, it, he, he enacts that by wearing his black suit.
1: But we initially get that delineation from Obi-Wan, who tells us that Vader hunted down and murdered your father. And then later on, he qualifies this lie of omission by saying what I said was true from a certain point of view. Uh, and so yeah. this, is, this is something that, that Vader has wanted uh, the message to be, and people kind of accept it, and that's true of Star Wars fans as well.
0: Yeah, a- absolutely, and it's a, a certain way of viewing it as, uh, yes, you could view Vader as, um, I, I guess I'm trying to think of the best way to put it. You can, you can see Anakin, Anakin exists without Vader, but Vader can't exist without Anakin, sort of, to a certain True. degree. Yeah. Uh, but Anakin wouldn't necessarily deny the existence of Vader, and Vader's always going to deny the existence of Anakin. So it's this weird kind of paradox, and Obi-Wan's also wrong a lot of the time. <laughs> and that's one of the key things that, and, and it's, it's unfortunate, but it's just because Vader pushes and forces him to be cynical and to lose hope and faith. Uh, but that's where Luke doesn't. And so Luke views them so, so much as one person. And that's what allows Anakin to kind of creep in to really destroy the Darth Vader that they share this singular shell within because he's a very split person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's... He, he's he it's he's fractured and, and thus it's it's hard to to not view them as the two.
1: But isn't it interesting that this dynamic seems kind of specific to the Skywalker bloodline? Because we most recently saw really a very similar concept between Ben Solo and and Kylo Ren. Like it's more ve- so. It's very obvious that these are two entirely different people. Like a possession has occurred. You're right. It's even more so. But for example, mm. uh, there's no indication that. Uh, Count Dooku has been corrupt, and therein he becomes a completely different ideology called Darth Tyrannus. Like he, he maybe slowly had a transition or a or a a, a blending of his uh, moral code. Maybe we just don't know enough about his internal ethic as a Jedi.
0: He also, I, I think, it was a way in which he slowly. He wasn't necessarily convinced. He wasn't corrupted in the same way. Whereas someone like Ben Solo, it's the dark side acts as even more of a disease for someone like him. Right. To the point where it literally treats them like two people. And the dark side, it's kind of all-consuming. Similar to the similar way it is with, um, whatever that, like a black symbiote is in Spider-Man that yep. turns him into Venom. Uh, it, it, that's a, It's a very similar kind of comparison to the way that you can view the dark side clinging to someone like... Uh, Ben Solo, and there's an incredible um, shot of, in a comic, of Palpatine just like swirling dark side energy around Shmi, Uh, and it's Anakin's, uh, or Darth Vader's vision of how he believes um, he may have been brought to life, and maybe like the influence Palpatine and the dark side has had since, uh, from an early age, and whether or not the involvement that Palpatine may have had or may not have had in his birth uh, and whether or not it was a force fighting back or not um it makes maybe makes him more susceptible to the dark side being a disease whereas dooku kind of falls upon it himself it's it's more his choice and although there's always agency in these decisions ah. the agency of ben solo and anakin is a slippery as hell slope compared to whereas dooku isn't he maybe doesn't embrace the dark side as much, and the dark side definitely doesn't embrace him as much.
1: I just think that philosophically, and this is kind of he- heavy conceptually, but like as soon as you bring in agency, that kind of negates this idea that they're two different characters. It then then it becomes no, you're responsible for your
0: goddamn actions. Yep, a- absolutely, and that's where and that's why you can view things with Luke, and that is uh, that's another important way of looking at it, and and that's the the underlying moral message of. Star Wars and the original yeah. trilogy and the simple uh, side of things, but the simple is important. That's the whole reason for any of this. It's the hero's journey. It's, it's very clear. And then there's also the tragic hero's redemption as well. Yeah. Um, and so it makes a lot of sense, but then you can view these in kind of other layered forms and then using little bits of fantasy, science fiction and lore, then you can get these other philosophical viewpoints on how you want to look at it. And so that is ultimately the, mm-hmm best uh, thing about Star Wars and the reason is to why Anakin slash Vader is one of the very, very, very best characters of them all. So you're going to all t- of fiction
1: in everywhere. Yes. You're going to focus on your top six favorite Anakin Skywalker moments. Uh, and as you've often mentioned, uh, he's one of your favorite characters in particular in the clone wars. And so I suspect you've got some, some stories to tell me about Anakin that I might not even know about. I'm going to focus on, uh, Darth Vader just in the interest of, uh, a chronology
0: of a lifetime line do you want to go first uh, sure that would make a lot of sense okay. and because of that um just purely coincidentally as well I didn't decide on it uh, but my number six moment is actually Anakin's conversation with Shmi and Qui-Gon uh, about helping people in the galaxy uh, and about learning that Qui-Gon is a Jedi, there's no uh, getting anything past Anakin and that entire conversation, uh, learning about the, the good heart that at the very core, this kid who just saved these strangers from a sandstorm has. I think it's just a very important moment. Uh, you have the, two, the the father figure he needs in his life, the mother figure he needs in his life, the love of his life, and Jar Jar all sitting at the table. And it's something that is, it's it's a really powerful and important moment. And it's exactly, exactly what George Lucas wants to show. He wants to show this innocence and purity of a young child. And that's the reason as to why he made Anakin so young uh, in in The Phantom Menace, even though it it maybe wasn't the right decision. uh, It does add to this scene because he's so young and innocent.
1: I absolutely love that you chose a a Jake Lloyd moment. It kind of didn't even occur to me that you might do that. Um, And we don't really spend a lot of time talking about about Jake Lloyd uh, as a performance um, of Anakin Skywalker, nor really as just a a concept of like this little boy Anakin. We don't know that much about what it was like for the first nine years of his life. There's a thing or two. Um, But... I think they're probably, it's it's a salvageable idea. And yes, I think we both agree that it would have been a little bit easier to, to manage if he was closer to Luke's age when we first meet the character. But I, we've talked a lot about how I, I personally really like Shmi, and obviously I really like mm-hmm. uh, Qui-Gon. And this is also just a, a this is kind of um, a moment parallel to when Obi-Wan first explains the force to Luke in in his cave in his hermitage um it's where we learn a little bit more about the spirituality of the universe as it's understood by our grandfather figure um and uh the innocence is is palpable that's a nice choice
0: yeah i thought it was uh an important scene and you have shmi there who is so reluctant to let anakin help but he can help you Mm. And he was meant to help you. Well, and, and to, to she Shmi, knows that. Yeah, to Shmi, He's just her son, right?
1: Like yes. uh, Qui Gon can can recognize that this little boy, young as he might be, may have a great responsibility that can't be uh, overlooked. But Shmi's like, why? That's my family and my innocent little boy who maybe could lead a safer life. And that's uh an interesting dynamic to look at Anakin with, because then he like has a different version of the same dynamic with, with Padme, who understands that he has a duty galactically, but also wants him to be her family and wants to not have to compromise that. And that's not unreasonable.
0: No, it's not. And it's that that is the fine line between your sense of duty and what you want to do. And to a degree, it's Anakin's very pick and choosy about that. Uh, But he develops that because of the attachments that he forms early on and the fact that that is right uh, to a certain degree. And the fact that his mother raised him to to do to do good. Yeah, uh, it was an important thing. And ultimately, it caused so much confliction within him because he couldn't determine really what was good. And so that was the hard part for Anakin and ultimately caused him to go down the deep path. But this is the the high point to kind of start it all. So I thought it was an important one to highlight.
1: My sixth favorite Darth Vader moment is the ambush in the dining hall in Clown City, Uh, Empire Strikes Back. The door opens up and it reveals to Han and Leia that they have been sold out by Lando. Uh, and they have been trapped, basically, and trapped by the Empire. Han immediately, like, triggers into hero mode and starts just firing like crazy at Darth Vader, who's standing across. Of course, Vader puts up his hand, and immediately the shots just make no impact. They just die upon impact against the palm of his hand. And we've seen, like, an evolution of that particular maneuver uh, through Kylo Ren, the start of The Force Awakens, this really cool thing where he's able to stop a blast mid-air. But Vader, in Vader's case, it kind of hints at, like, just his enormous brute strength, of course, and also his superhuman makeup. It's like the perfect way to to neuter uh, Han's power to completely uh, flip our heroes on their heads. And then he force pulls the gun out of uh, Han's hand, just calmly says,
0: We would be honored
1: if you would join us. It's not as uh, spiritually impactful
0: as the moment you just, uh, laid out for us, but it's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the point of Darth Vader. A lot of the time it is so cool, but I think it is also really important to show a moment where he's like bouncing bullets off his hands or blaster fire. And so as a result of that, it maybe puts into question for the audience, the people who are watching this the first time. I mean, once again, is this thing human, right? Uh, we just we just saw the like the top of his head earlier in this film, but it just like what? And it's, it's 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 opening the force even more and makes him more menacing for the fight that's about to ensue. And like you said, Han just like protecting Leia but getting right into hero mode. And it's uh, it is such a badass moment. And then Boba Fett there just lurking behind him, and it's this beautiful like dinner table it it is just a a classic uh, badass moment
1: yeah and it's kind of like classic it's almost like Arthurian this like interesting story concept where the villain who the heroes do not trust and will never trust have been asked to behave in this kind of um, formal pleasantry like sit down have the pork it's delicious like and and Mm -hmm. it's very performative and we don't actually get to see any kind of uh, meal time ensue, but the, I think it's just kind of I like. I don't the, think it does. No, but like the the class and and the the formality of Darth Vader is really on display here, and just in particular, like the stopping of of blaster fire with his hand. I never thought about it before, but like I guess uh, what appears to be different about it is that the shots are hitting his hand and then dying upon impact, versus Kylo Ren who stops it midair. But like vader's suit however tough is not like impenetrable or um or unable to be uh uh burned or severed or whatever so i have to think that just it's in closer range exactly the same maneuver and he's stopping it just before it reaches
0: his hand nitpicking i guess well yes but also it's not his hand he doesn't have hands.
1: No, but he is wearing a suit, is what I'm saying. Like if, he, if he puts up his hand against every shot that's fired at him, his gloves are going to get worn out pretty fast. I guess that's not the end of the world yes, either. Yes,
0: I see what you mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that makes a good point. I'd be curious to know what, uh, what his Mechno arms are made out of. So Right. So that's all I have to say about that. But you're right. It is. I, I There's not a
1: whole lot else to say, but it's very deserving of its place in your list. I hadn't even thought about the Boba Fett of it all, but you're right. That's like it's just very cool i also like the daylight of cloud city and i guess it's really contrasted with when they go down in there and the and the whole carbonite sequence ensues is that suddenly it feels like he's being put literally down into hell but a second ago we were up dancing on the clouds of heaven and so it's uh it's a great moment to surprise you even if you've seen the movie many times
0: yeah absolutely and yeah good kind of comparison with heaven and hell there with uh kind of the red vents and the smoke coming oh, up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It works. <laughs> no, number five, your f- uh, fifth favorite Anakin moment. I'm going to surprise you again with Jake Lloyd Part 2. Okay. And that and that would be the Boon to Eve classic win. Now, this is sure. as an overall just an awesome moment. So it's less of an Anakin moment in the sense that it, it is a, a great Anakin moment. Uh, but the whole sequence with... <laughs> all of the aliens, the expan- like the way it expands the galaxy, the fact that it's a fun race, the way that you get to see uh, him start out so poorly. Uh, the entire sequence is amazing, but it does also show the first time we really get to see Anakin Skywalker using the Force like a motherfucker. Oh yeah. And doing something that humans can't do, let alone children and finishing the race and doing the incredible and the impossible and all while keeping his composure and when he he spins out and he like grabs the giant magnet stick and he attaches it back in it's just it's an awesome sequence and at the very end when like qui-gon picks him up and he's like all dirty he's just like you can tell he looks he looks exhausted jake lloyd probably was just from all the acting yeah. but it's a great sequence it's an exciting sequence it is a celebratory sequence it is a win uh, it is the the calm before the storm. It is him earning his freedom from slavery uh, It is a huge huge moment in the turning of Anakin Skywalker to becoming a Jedi and uh, Just as an overall it, it needed its due on, on on my list I thought
1: yeah, I think it's a, a really uh, developmental moment a turning point for the heroism of Anakin Skywalker like for one Much of what he pulls off here, he did because he was a kid. And that's kind of what's joyful about it, is that, like, this is a little boy who has the spirit and the inhibitions of a little boy. That's how he was able to pull this off. And then because it results in the greatest success of his life, as you said, his freedom from slavery, um, he is then empowered to be that daring as a heroic Jedi for the rest of his career. And so, like all of this, these maneuvers and this, these crazy uh, avian antics that he uses to drive Obi-Wan crazy <laughs> is kind of just the
0: next evolution
1: of the confidence he earned at that uh, pod race.
0: Absolutely, and I just thought of this right now, but like spinning, that's a good trick. Uh, he just continues to spin after that point as well. He spins later in the movie, Uh, By saying spinning, that's a good trick. But like when he spins out uh, in the pod race. And so the man, like that is a a classic style for Anakin Skywalker. And the fact that he doesn't puke all over the cockpit is incredible. He spins as Darth Vader too. Yeah, absolutely. He spins out at the the very end. Um, But it's cool to see him also as this incredible pilot. So we get to see the fact that he builds three PO, so we know he's he's this incredible mechanic. But that's not something that we necessarily identify with Luke. But we do identify with Luke being an incredible pilot, Mm. a bush pilot, best bush pilot in the outer rim. And so it's, I I think that's really cool. And I I think it it does uh, and it introduces us to pod racing, the fact that he makes his pod, uh, just the overall sequence. uh, It's it's a big win, Uh, and the Phantom Menace. Uh, it, it has its low points, and, and Anakin has his low points in The Phantom Menace, but uh, it was nice to go, kind of go through these and be like, oh, nice. There's two good moments I, c- I can highlight here uh, For sure. at the top. I'm thrilled. I'm,
1: those, are, those are both excellent, excellent choices. My fifth favorite uh, Darth Vader moment is just kind of another uh, badass flex. That first instance of force choking in A New Hope, it's kind of become like his signature move, Darth Vader. And it tends to be something he does to assert dominance. He's definitely choking people to kill them and he often enjoys doing it. But sometimes it's not to kill them. Sometimes it's just this effective use of his power to shut somebody up for a second and maybe for good in his company. Um, when he does it to, is it Admiral Modi? Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Conan um, Antonio Modi. It's kind of like his first example of, or it's our first example as a viewer of just like how powerful this this guy is. And it's the among it's among the first uses of the force that we ever pay witness to. So it does a lot. I mean, of mean, his
0: sorcerer's ways, right?
1: <laughs> it, it does a lot of the legwork in laying this this foundation for what we understand to be the mysteries of the galaxy. Uh, and there's also just something obviously so completely gutless and brutal about crushing someone's windpipe with your mind. So. Yeah, It's the perfect symbol of his menace. And it's it's also rivaled, in fact, this moment by when he does it um, virtually over Zoom in the next movie. <laughs> but uh, I think the first time you see it is is pretty cool. You can hear that kind of like crackling sound a little bit. And that's troubling, but it's all the more uh, exciting as, as a filmmaking aspect.
0: Yeah. Like the gasping for air that he does and like the pounding on the table. It's, it's, it's really awesome. But the way that he just so effortlessly is doing it yes, and is doing it with such a calm and then just stops and turns away. It's, it really is uh, a level of menacing that like you just said before with kind of the, the blaster fire, we'd be honored if you join us. It's this cool menacing that Darth Vader does. And that's what Darth Vader has. It's, the, the rage and then the cool, whereas Kylo Ren doesn't really have that cool menacing level, whereas Darth no. Vader really, really does. Absolutely. And this is uh, another one of those classic examples. Uh, and it's also like you said, it does kind of further show uh, his allegiance to his uh, ancient religion uh, and it's... And kind of an important symbolism there and the fact that like not really everybody else does but Tarkin kind of allows him to and so it it does create an interesting dynamic within his place in in the Imperial structure.
1: Who was this Admiral trying to impress by mouthing off like that to Darth Vader? Like surely the other people in the room are like, are you joking, dude? You're about to get killed in front of me. Like what a weird decision to be that brave to be that bold in that moment
0: uh, some of them were yeah <laughs> some of them were that stupid i mean it also comes down to you see he's so arrogant yes he, he just it could never in a million years uh imagine uh someone ever doing that to him but that's what darth vader is willing to do he'll do it to anyone right. he'll do it to the most prim and proper of his colleagues mm-hmm. And so I think that's adds maybe even another level to it.
1: Okay. Your turn for number five, your fifth favorite Anakin moment.
0: Uh, number four, number four, excuse me. Uh, number four would be, uh, his fate will be the same as ours. Uh, and that would be when, uh, Palpatine tries to get Anakin to leave Obi-Wan behind, uh, and as they escape uh, Grease's ship and Anakin says his fate will be the same as ours, and he free he picks up Obi-Wan uh, after killing Dooku and rescuing the Chancellor, and then he rushes down an elevator shaft as the Invisible Hand, Grievous' ship, is sinking towards Coruscant, and it is just Anakin putting the galaxy on his back, basically, and being the ultimate Jedi and also the ultimate friend to obi-wan and i mean yes after this i was debating between these two moments um when he lands the invisible hand um so impressively but it was something that i I really wanted to to focus on i i I, can you hear me fine i know my screen is frozen yeah you're a little frozen
1: but i your your audio hasn't cut out at all and now you're okay
0: perfect and now i'm back um but it's an important thing to really focus on at the start of that movie, because then you have, uh, Obi-Wan like giving Anakin his due and like all the times he's saved him. And this is just a really great example of, Oh yeah, this is just one of so many moments where Anakin has been the hero of the clone wars. And he's done it with not necessarily following everybody's rules or even necessarily listening directly to Obi-Wan or the chancellor, but, looking out for the both of them at the same time. And then later when he makes his ultimate decisions, the the harder that it is. And so he leaves Obi-Wan behind later to want to kill him in just a couple days. But that's kind of where it goes back to what we started with this entire conversation about and how he's such a, a black and white, on and off sort of person. And uh, it it really cements how much he cares about his his brother, Obi-Wan.
1: Yeah, isn't it interesting how decisively George chose to bookend this film with the two most extreme versions of a relationship of a brotherhood, the like absolute love and personal sacrifice and absolute hatred.
0: Yeah. And and the fact that he, he's not going to leave Obi-Wan behind when they're uh, up in the Battle of Coruscant in their in their starships and so and that's he, another important angle. And he's not going to listen to
1: Palpatine either. Palpatine's the one who's saying Oh Anakin leave him and Anakin's like yeah. no I'm not going to do what you say at least not yet not not for another day and a half
0: yeah. But and, and that's and that's what Anakin does he is the hero of the clone wars but he is also he does it in his own way he right. he doesn't listen to instruction. That's the reason why Mace Windu doesn't trust him because he doesn't do exactly what they say but in the end of the day you see that he has been making the right decisions mm-hmm. And in the instances where maybe he listens, uh, do it, do it, and like there you go. Right. He he makes the wrong decision by listening to someone there, but he knows it was wrong right after, and then he goes and he makes the right decision by not leaving Obi Wan behind. And so, uh, it is important for Anakin to show that off, and I think that is. Uh, uh, and like you said, it, we've talked before about how much we love the banter between he and Obi-Wan, but I think this is an important one to show that he would never, never leave his brother behind uh, until, of course, when he wants to push it, him into lava.
1: Of course he would. That sets me up pretty nicely for my number four, which is the other side of the bookend. Uh, it is indeed the fiery duel on Mustafar, which is a Darth Vader sequence. Uh, it doesn't require a whole lot more uh, affirmation from us. We've talked about this sequence so many times in the podcast. Oh, yeah. I almost did forget to include it because it's really easy to forget that the difference between Anakin and Vader is not a helmet. It's it's more nuanced than that. And it happens right around now. Um, so at this point, he's like at full tilt with his anger. And he's really trying to make a point because he's fresh off this uh, wicked order from his new master. Um as one of the few Darth Vader scenes, like you just talked about how uh, so much of Darth Vader's menace is his calm and his collected cool kind of evil. Where here, um, he's not really that at all. He's kind of leading with uh, emotion. And that's that's partly what makes it so gut-wrenching is to witness his rage in an emotional state rather than one that's that's so stoic. And also it's a striking Darth Vader sequence because He's not a badass here at all. A lot of his dialogue is kind of stilted and weird. He sounds a little bit whiny. He's doing horrible things to his wife and to his friend. And ultimately he loses and he is stalled this crippled, uh, wasted potential on the fiery shore. And that's kind of what makes it hit as strongly as it does. But it's a Darth Vader sequence nonetheless. It's it's, it's kind of the the moment that builds Darth Vader. And so I had to include it.
0: I think that's, uh, of course, absolutely got to include this one. And I think you, you put it in a good way in the sense that it's the moment that builds Darth Vader. And I also love that you mentioned it's his friend and his wife. And it's, yeah, it's the only people left that he loves. And when this is over, yes, he becomes Darth Vader in a suit. But... It's the reason as to why he's this whiny, different sort of Vader. Mm -hmm. It's because he still has people in his life that he loves. He loses all that. And so he becomes this cold and calculated and menacing Vader. And so he's got this passion, but it's a passion born of love and anger as opposed to just anger (laughs) and just pure hatred and the not even satisfaction from death, but just... Like, I need things to be worse and worse and worse. And that's what he becomes after he thinks Padme has died and uh, thinks that Obi-Wan is got away almost. And so then it becomes a different mission entirely when he thinks he has a son uh, or finds out he has a son and uh, after killing Obi-Wan and realizing what happened to his body.
1: Well, and there's a transitionary moment. It's not the first time we see him with yellow eyes, but we do see those yellow eyes again when he utters, I hate you right and so like that's him deciding once and for all okay i'm not going to be uh wilted by any feelings i have about you anymore i am only going to be empowered by those feelings to someday end your life uh which he of course is incapable of doing but that's uh yeah i think you said it even better than i did actually that's that's kind of when darth vader is officially born um Mm.
0: yeah okay uh your turn for number three we're moving along Yeah, and actually, on that note, uh, there is an honorable mention that I wanted to mention. And because uh, I just I think now is the best time to mention it just because of what you were kind of talking about there with the with Sith eyes. There is a moment in Rebels when he fights Ahsoka and uh, after not knowing if Ahsoka has survived Order 66 and they they go at it on Malachor, which is a dark side planet. And ultimately, Ahsoka cuts his mask in the fight. Mm. And so they do lock eyes for a moment. And his eyes fade back to blue. And he says Ahsoka, and you hear Matt Lanter, who does the voice of Anakin in the Clone Wars, and you hear him and James Earl Jones talking at the same time. So cool. And they deliver the line. And then the eye just fades back to yellow. And yeah. he just goes back. It's just a quick moment of where he's able to see, look upon her with his own eyes. Mm-hmm. And he becomes Anakin for just half a second. Interesting. And then goes back to being Darth Vader. It's one that I didn't know whether or not it could be included on either list anyway. And so I didn't include it on the Anakin list because it's it's too small of an Anakin moment. It's But... Almost a powerful one, and it's more of an Ahsoka moment. Uh, but I wanted to, to mention it, and I thought that just right here was the perfect time because of, you mentioned the Sith eyes, and uh, it was—it's it, a, it's a good honorable mention, though I thought, because it's the—it's that beautiful blend, and I think we'll see something very similar in Obi Wan Kenobi.
1: Oh, you're so right, and that's going to mean all the more to more Star yeah. Wars fans,
0: super exciting. Yeah, that's a
1: that's a great mention. Did I say number three, your turn for number three?
0: Yeah, my okay. number three. My number three is a Clone Wars one. And so this would be actually one that we did watch though together uh, in terms of at the at the same time when Clone Wars season seven, and this would be the start of the siege of Mandalore. And this would be Anakin's fake surrender to the separatists. Okay. And this would be when uh, Obi-Wan is getting his ass kicked. Anakin has already took out the dro- uh, his droid army. And so he comes with the 501st and provides some backup, does a fake surrender to get the strategic droid, uh, the tactical droid from uh, the Separatists to come out. He force pulls the droid across uh, the entire battlefield, skewers him with his lightsaber, and now it's just a bunch of sitting duck battle droids with no ability to make any strategic decision. And the clones just pop up from underneath the bridge. There's R2 there. It is, uh, it's the perfect, a, just Anakin being the, the ultimate uh, fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants Jedi. And so we have Anakin making the hard decision and being the ultimate good guy by uh, his fate will be the same as ours. This is the, the most out-there uh, war crime, not what you're supposed to do, but in the sense of getting the job done, saving people. Uh, ultimately, is it a war crime if it's done against droids? and these droids are killing sentient people? No, not really. And like, that's why you have someone like Anakin who's able to see past the the bureaucracy and the BS and you build this great moment of, like the same way you're able to do Luke Skywalker killing a bunch of dark troopers because they're not humans. And so he's allowed to slaughter dark troopers. You have Anakin kind of doing a similar sort of moment here and he's taking on this entire battlefield and he's showing Obi-Wan up because Obi-Wan's playing by the rules. And it's just an overall wonderful badass moment and Matt Lanter delivers it with a beautiful sense of smugness. It's a great one. Smugness is the right word because what I gather
1: from what I've seen of that version of Anakin in the Clone Wars, is that he really has a uh, cocky sports hero kind of vibe where he's like the young hotshot on the team who scores the goal and does the celly and everybody loves it. And like, he's probably frustrating to his teammates because like, yes, he's clearly the best, but he also knows that and he he great comparison. leans into it. It really seems like he's kind of got that going on. And I do remember that sequence and it was great. Uh, and if that, if that's essentially what Anakin is like as the hero of that series, I can see why he's so fun to watch.
0: Yeah, and it is building, it's a it's a much more Saturday morning cartoon, Anakin Skywalker, but that's appropriate. That's what Star Wars was meant to be. It was just done in a live action movie format at the start and then ultimately found its way back to that in the end uh, by doing things like the Clone Wars. And I think this is a really nice blend. Yes, it's a, it's a little sillier than... Uh, Uh, A moment where he's landing the invisible hand but I think they both show a really similar sort of example of his kind of mass heroism that he can certainly perform uh, and the unusual way in which he's going to get the job done right
1: okay my number three your number three my number three is the most recent to us chronologically it is the rampage at the end of rogue one Um, perhaps as a scene uh, just in movies, I like Mustafar better than this sequence, but as a Darth Vader installation, this is my number three. It's also kind of an obvious one, I guess, uh, where we stand now in the era, but I think it bears mentioning, I mean, it's really exciting cinema for reasons beyond the obvious superficial ones, like the lighting is really ominous and everybody's screaming and it's, it's violent in such an exciting way. The scene occurs, of course, just as we're learning what they're doing with the climax of this movie. Um, and it's becoming clear that Darth Vader is quite literally, Darth Vader here is quite literally the original Darth Vader, who we have always been led to believe is this menace. But it's satisfying because part of that being led to believe to that conclusion is that we kind of had to draw some conclusions on our own. We had to make some some presumptions we almost had to suspend disbelief that this guy seems so slow moving and stiff and yet he's i guess the fastest and most strong evil jedi in the world and here we got to see that on full display which was just so gratifying and delicious um and i guess that's all i have to say it's also it's also very fucking cool with the dark lighting and the screams and the violence and it's just like there's not a bit of it that doesn't taste like candy And also Star Wars doesn't, it doesn't lean into being that violent very often. So once in a blue moon, you get like a little bit of like almost Tarantino vibes. You're like, oh, hell yeah.
0: Uh, And you don't quite realize at this specific point that it's directly leading up to the very, very beginning of A New Hope. Right. Um, But at this point, like you said, he's fighting in that same style. It's all wrist action as opposed to these like large, big, big swoops uh, it shows that he's able to still be that, like you said, he's the exact same Darth Vader, but it shows a level of consistency with speed because he needs to block blaster fire, which that's the speed of a bullet, yeah. the speed of a laser. You need to be able to move quickly versus the speed of an old man who's like half meditating as he's fighting. It's reasonable. And at the same time, We still always needed to see this. We still always needed to see him being an absolute badass in the suit. Right. You wanted to see it in the suit and it was the right amount of use in the movie. It wasn't over the top. He wasn't killing all of our heroes. And it was, uh, yeah, it was one of the greatest moments we've had in Star Wars. Uh, And when it comes to uh, action moments, easily, uh, in my opinion, a a top, uh, a top five action moment in Star Wars and probably a top 10 moment in Star Wars, period. I mean, it kind of recalibrates the way you
1: see the opening sequence of all of Star Wars. And not for the worse, which is, like, really dangerous. Like, how do you change the way I see the first scene in this my favorite series of movies and somehow just make it, like, richer and cooler to imagine that first time you see Vader and he's, like, kind of having it out with Princess Leia... He's just literally, like a couple minutes ago, gone on a unbelievable tear, like a murderous, yeah. uh, like a killing
0: spree, and a uh, double of you guys. Yeah, like you know how there's a bunch of you guys with your funny little hats. Yeah, <laughs> where are the where are the rest of your rebel band now?
1: <laughs> it's those helmets, by the way, that really give it away. When you watch Rogue One for yeah. the first time, you're like, "There's those helmets. Are they doing this?" And they do, and it's oh, yeah. You, you can't. You have
0: like all of like rogue squadron and gold squadron but you're like okay that's kind of cool and you see oh there's a red five who's not luke but like you don't like okay that makes sense you don't realize luke's replacing someone who dies though like a couple days ago (laughs) yeah
1: it kind of makes sense though like otherwise that job would have been
0: filled by someone who's not luke skywalker from nowhere yeah that's right that's a very very good point (laughs) okay your turn for number two uh, my number two, uh, this is another one from the Clone Wars, and this would be when he proves himself as the Chosen One uh, and tames the gods of Mortis. And so this is uh, a very uh, mythological uh, quest that Anakin goes on, and he crashes on Mortis with Ahsoka and Obi-Wan. And uh, basically, Ahsoka and Obi-Wan are, uh, through all all this, they're used as pawns for testing Anakin's ability to be the chosen one, to keep the balance of the Force within the galaxy. And there's the father, the son, and the daughter, the daughter being of the light side, the father being of balance, and the son being of the dark side. And the son and the daughter imprison Ahsoka and Obi-Wan, and as opposed to uh, having to choose between the two of them, Anakin uh, controls the two of them, who are the two most powerful Force beings in the galaxy, um, basically, yields them like two dogs, and um, all, and is offered the position of the father as the keeper of the force um, on Mortis. He turns it down, um, and it's a it's a it's a phenomenal sequence about choice uh, and about also having agency. And he doesn't remember all of the things that occur on Mortis. There is like a, a, a fog that they have. Uh, but it is showing that Anakin, when all is on the line for his friends and the choice is between, are you able to do it? Are you strong enough to save your friends? Are you strong enough to uh, tap into the Force on the deepest possible level to manipulate it more than anyone ever has? And that's exactly what happens. It's Mm -hmm. on this most extreme of force nexuses, and it's essentially the most brute power use of the force in history. And it's also Anakin turning down the role because that would mean he's no longer his life. It's basically him surrendering to becoming a god, and he doesn't want to do that. Uh, similar to the way like you'll have Hercules who wanted to, to live on Earth with with Meg uh, That would be what he wants to do and live life with Padme, but in the Force, that's the wrong decision, right? And he becomes Darth Vader because of that uh, Had he stayed on Morris, he never would have become Darth Vader He uh. never would have had any of the things that he wanted in life None of the things that he wanted in life He would have been a slave to the Force, mm. but he never would have become Darth Vader and so it it is a it's a it's a really powerful sequence and it's one where it looks like he's out of options and he creates a new option because he is the chosen one and it's just a badass moment but at the same time one that's through this very layered mythological journey that he's been going on uh and so it's very very cool
1: the mortis arc has to be the the animated uh storyline that you reference the most and i've never seen it but it really seems like from what i've heard it really seems like it's deserving of a bigger spotlight among star wars fans
0: absolutely and in colin trevorrow's duel of the fates it ends on mortis yeah and so i think that would have i think that absolutely could have worked i don't think it worked the way that he used it in his script but i think it would have worked in the sense that it was up until this point probably the the strongest force nexus known and i think probably still the, for, the strongest force nexus that has existed in Star Wars canon. And so I think that it, it's something that needs its due again. And when we have like the world between worlds and with Ahsoka coming up, who knows how it might be done. Um, Morai, who was the daughter's uh, owl, uh, her convoy, uh it was just the, the, the pet that was bound to her, uh, bound himself to Ahsoka when the daughter dies during the Mortis arc. And so that's one that uh, provides a nice backdoor because Morai was visible uh, in the Mandalorian I know, uh, yeah. from a tree. So th- that is kind of a backdoor way that you can still bring in uh, some of the Mortis elements. Uh, and the Mortis gods are involved between the world, between worlds uh, as well. So that's something that uh, we'll likely learn more about through the Ahsoka show. So it is part of my kind of list of key uh, arcs to show you um, in preparation for each of the shows
1: I still cannot believe that they were gonna call episode 9 the duel of the fates and then they didn't do that What a I know <laughs> waste
0: They um, give us maybe the worst title of all of them except attack of the clones might be worse. Yeah um, But a duel of the fates would have been up there with like phantom menace. It yes. would have been incredible. It would have
1: been so good <laughs> Ugh. anyway, my second favorite Darth Vader moment is one that you mentioned a second ago. It's the lowering of that helmet down while we look at the back of Darth Vader's horribly scarred head in Empire Strikes Back. This is after we've already spent a movie knowing that this villain is scary, but not knowing what or who he is. Uh, And it's kind of like another one of those classic Vader intimidates an Imperial officer moments, like he's being approached by one of the admirals. Um, And it's done differently here because he doesn't have to Assert his authority or attack or choke anybody out. He's just kind of all business here. But he does reveal enough about himself, like personally and almost kind of um, uh, vulnerably uh, that you can see that this guy is literally a monster. Like not just like morally and ethically and like by his actions and his, you know, wicked sludgy heart. No, he like Mm. literally looks like a monstrosity. And um, it's a really rich moment, I think, for viewers. And uh, we can't possibly imagine what it felt like to see that for the first time. That, oh, look, there's definitely a human of some kind underneath that mask. But with just that brief shot of a a horribly scarred head, you suddenly have a million new questions about this guy. And that's that's so meaningful. Yeah,
0: I think that's a really, really good point. That's one that... um it opens up this whole new view of Vader, uh, and it is like you said, it's really hard to go back and think about that moment from like how the first time you saw it, yeah. because I don't remember not knowing that Vader was Anakin and that they were one and the same, and that he was a person. But it really open it just it opens up all these other questions that you may have had, and the fact that it's clearly trying to tell you something. And we get this kind of, Vader becomes even more mysterious from this point on. And so it it really does uh, make the character for Empire. It's that that first lead-in point to let you know that, okay, guess what's going to be coming later on? You don't know it yet, but this is not remotely the most interesting thing about this guy. (laughs) No,
1: no, that's true. It gets kind of buried by the bigger reveals happening later.
0: Well, I mean, to find out, like, just first, it's confirmation it's a human. Uh, so that you're then going to realize that he can have a child. And so it's extra, like, you're not going to be totally weirdo. Like, I thought he was a robot the entire right. time. That's true. You get that, like, first realization so that you have your aha moment before needing to be like, hold up. In this space movie now, we're having robots that can have humans as children. And, but now, But it, it makes more sense. They're able to be like, oh, he's not this droid robot type. He's something else entirely. He's a a man. And so you're right. It does open up the the, the whole story a lot more.
1: But put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's just seen Empire Strikes Back for the first time and Return of the Jedi won't even be out until next year or whatever. And you're a Star Wars super fan who likes to hypothesize where the story is going to go. You can kind of start to put together like, okay, well, Obi-Wan told Luke that, Luke's father had died, and now it turns out that Luke's father hasn't died, but he's horribly scarred, and so maybe he faked his death, or like maybe um, people saw well, we know he is.
0: Oh, uh, sorry, you are trying to realize this, as to whether or not he was telling the truth. Yeah, I see yeah,
1: because that's another thing that people weren't necessarily sure about. Like maybe he's just kind of mm. screwing with Luke.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, but it does give you more reason to believe that that's not necessarily the case or that the story at the very least is a lot more interesting from a certain point of view ah that's right hey uh number one right your favorite anakin skywalker moment favorite anakin skywalker moment uh this one is a pretty obvious one this would be uh him proving himself as the chosen one in a more metaphorical sense and that would be by picking up palpatine and throwing him down the shaft killing him and ultimately returning to being Anakin skywalker the return of the Jedi that we all um, began this entire kind of journey, not knowing who he was uh, in the, A New Hope. And then when you view it as the chronological, he was just this little kid. And so it really is an important uh, it is obviously the important part of Anakin's journey, but it's, very powerful it's not what you're expecting you're expecting something different but at the same time he's been trying to kind of convince uh vader this invader really hasn't been given him anything and then the lightning goes straight through into vader just killing him no questions asked really but then you get the the beautiful moment of the two of them after when he helped me take this mask off luke help me take this mask off you'll die nothing
1: can stop that now just for
0: once let me look on you with my own eyes ultimately it's what allows the entire original trilogy to work it's the reason why i return of the jedi anybody who says it's subpar compared to the other two which I think that's mostly, mostly I think people think that because of the Ewoks, which I think is also ridiculous, but I think that you can't look past moments like this and not say, man, is that stick in the landing? Yeah. Man, is that how you tell uh, the redemption story? He doesn't, he he, he doesn't win at all. (laughs) He gets uh, electrified. And he, but you'll die. Well, nothing can stop that now. And even if it could, he knows that he doesn't deserve to live. Right. Now he does get to be a forest ghost, which is uh, maybe not very fair, but it's, uh, I think it's a much better thing that he's a forest ghost as uh, kind of a, a younger version of himself than one who's been so scarred. Um, and so uh, it is It is the, the moment that makes Vader uh, and Anakin one and the same uh, and the moment that makes Anakin um, the, the character that we knew in the original trilogy. There's no point in kind of going back and telling his story that it is this one tragic story yeah. uh, if you don't get to understand uh, that, that final moment uh, of, of kind of heart to heart with his son.
1: It's what you said. It's what makes him at least an interpretation uh, of being the titular character in Return of the Jedi. We should probably be clear. We didn't say this up front. The parameters we set for what is Vader and what is Anakin, uh basically the transition happens when uh, Anakin pledges his allegiance to Palpatine and revenge of the Sith. He takes the knee and he's like, I am at your services or whatever. That's from that moment on, he's Vader. And then he's no longer Vader once he lifts up Palpatine and rescues his yeah. son. Um, and so if there's any kind of... uh discrepancy or uh lack of clarity on like whether or not Anakin Skywalker died with a sense of decency in his heart. Um, I mean, obviously he, he does it with this uh, heroic mm. burst and then the movie is called um, Return of the Jedi. Now it's interesting. You mentioned uh, him as a force ghost and I never really thought about like how fair it was that he got to be a force ghost and we still don't know that much about force ghosts, which is remarkable considering uh, Star Wars, but would you, if you were to guess, would you suspect that he probably doesn't have the spiritual freedom to just come and go from this mortal coil as he pleases?
0: Well, none of them really do, right? Um, but I think that he has the same capabilities that any of them have in in the in the in the, the ether and okay. in, in the nether world. Um, I do. I know this is kind of a news thing or a rumors thing or a piecing things together thing, but. The Obi-Wan Kenobi show is taking ten year taking place ten years between uh, ten years after Revenge of the Sith. It was okay. initially said it was going to be eight years after Revenge of the Sith, um, but they did change it, and that was because a story referenced uh, that it took Obi-Wan ten years to communicate with Qui-Gon. Uh, so I do believe that there's also a pretty decent chance that this and i've said it before in the entire time that it's going to be about him learning to be a force ghost yeah and i think that him communicating with qui-gon or at least learning how to understand to communicate with a force ghost is going to give us some more inclination of how that works and hopefully answering this question a little bit more right Uh, however in some of the stories uh it has been explained a little bit that yoda and obi-wan are both uh deeply responsible for anakin becoming a force ghost uh and also, in part, the reason as to why he looks young and not old, as they didn't know right. what he looked like.
1: Oh, oh, okay. I like that. That's good. Man, I'm so excited. I so want to see Liam Neeson, or at least hear him. And I'm pretty confident we will.
0: I think. I think we'll get both. Yeah. I, I think there's going to find a Force Nexus, so we can see his face. It'd be weird to see him in like long hair again, though. Do you
1: think they'll do that? That's how Obi Wan remembers him. Yeah, definitely do it in long hair.
0: Yeah, he'll look. He'll look the same. He, he also. Uh, in as a as a force ghost i don't think he'll look like he's aged a day yeah maybe not it's a good point he, he looks good and with a beard and long hair uh yeah i think it'll be fine yeah i think it'll look good
1: well i only have one more uh thing to name my favorite all-time darth vader moment any guesses a uh, couple <laughs> yeah, you got a couple really I would love to hear some of your other thoughts Because the obvious one is no I am your father I think I'd be very silly to suggest anything else is Better or more important of a Darth Vader moment uh, it's kinda re- I expected that yeah Yes it, it realigns everything you know about the character About the hero Luke of course About the galaxy in general uh, And as such it's uh, I know we can be hyperbolic here Because we love Star Wars But it's among the most significant movie twists of all time mm-hmm. It's memed to pieces. People know, if not know I am your father, they know Luke, I am your father, just as like a piece of popular culture that exists all around them. And Absolutely. it's it's less and less likely to have the same impact with new viewers of Star Wars every single year that goes by. Uh, that's just the cost of being a cultural institution. But that can't take away its, its rightful spot on the throne. It is maybe the most iconic moment in the entire franchise. So, yes, it's the best Darth Vader moment.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. Iconic doesn't and and iconic doesn't always necessarily mean best and iconic doesn't always necessarily mean best doesn't always mean favorite. Uh, But yeah, when it comes to a highlight real moment, I would I would agree it would be hard damn pressed to not pick this one. It is uh, the moment that and I think more importantly, it's his speech after. Yes, it's the it's the desperation in it. It's the join me and I will complete your training and uh, we can overthrow the emperor. Uh, he has for, he has foreseen it. Um, uh, it is your destiny. And like all these things that re- like it, it's like, oh, we have all this suspense, this buildup. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Here's a crap ton of information that you could never possibly have expected. Right. And we're going to also included in each of them our 30 more questions. Mm-hmm. And so it's just opening Pandora's box of Star Wars. It is the, the, the opening, like the domino knockover to what makes this a saga and not just uh, a few stories that link together. Uh, it is one of the most epic moments in Star Wars uh, because of the way it connects so many different pieces. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with you on this one. This makes a lot of sense it's in, yeah. in its number one spot.
1: Nothing really else needs to be said. The only other um, honorable mention I wanted to bring up, and I didn't put it on my list because I already had a moment of a Vader mask coming down on my list, and um, mm-hmm. and I think that one meant more culturally to what Star Wars is. But I really love just like the cinematography of, of the mask coming down on on his face just after he's been defeated. It's his eyes. eyes. It's the best acting he does in the series. He's like, it's just the look on his face is horrified in a very visceral and convincing way. And uh, it's, it's not necessarily even a great Darth Vader moment because it's almost like a little bit of Anakin peeking through. Um, mm-hmm. But it is a really powerful moment for the singular character of those two uh characters in one so i just wanted to mention that
0: yeah absolutely and another moment i guess of anakin kind of peeking through vader that should get its note would be when he blocks luke from killing the emperor yep um and when he blocks his saber and that one adds that one has a lot more significance uh since rise of skywalker and so that one is is kind of a cool moment
1: don't do what i did you'll then become uh full of hatred like i was is that what he was trying to prevent there
0: Yes, absolutely. And now with the rise of Skywalker, we have the extra level of if you kill him in hatred, he gets to also take over your body, right. which that's is true. what he's been trying to do to me forever, mm-hmm. except for the fact that my body's shit now. Yeah. And so now he's been waiting to find you. Please don't do this. That's <laughs> I mean, I'll still try and kill you after this, but no, don't don't go this way.
1: <laughs> do you think Vader understood that?
0: I think so. Yeah, wow, I think that's pretty that, good. Well, I, I think that we need to view it that way now or else the rise of Skywalker, if we're to view the rise of Skywalker as part of the saga, I think we have to view it that way. And I, and we, and we do. And so I I do view it with that extra layer and yes, there's the moral side of it, but then you can add that other mythical layer and the importance that that can play on it. And then the philosophical kind of conundrum that's created from that. So I think that is an even better moment now than maybe it was even before. Uh, but some of the, I guess, the other kind of honorable mentions that I have for Anakin would be when he, uh, he uh, blows up the Vuton Pala. That would be the the droid control ship uh, at the end of the Phantom Menace. Definitely. Uh, when he lands the invisible hand, as I mentioned that. Uh, when he dual wields uh, against Count Dooku. Oh. The first time we get to see that. Oh and yeah. The sparks flying. It is, uh, cinematography is incredible in that. And just the way that the lighting is done, it, it's just so cool. And the sound, it's it's some of the smoothest lightsaber sound effects. And it's it's just badass. It's
1: really awesome. moved me as a young movie fan. It, it kind of broke my brain. I didn't know you could have two lightsabers at once. That kind of changed everything.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I love the fact that it's blue and green, too. So it adds an extra level of cool to it. Um when he is determined to save his mother. So when he's stalking the Tuscans and when he's like on his speeder and he's got that insane look in his eye, not so much when he's slaughtering them like animals, but the, the parts leading up to that are, are pretty awesome. Anakin, uh, and a couple other great, uh, Clone Wars moments, uh, Obi-Wan fakes his death to go undercover mm-hmm. and Anakin goes crazy. Anakin just loses his mind trying to find Obi-Wan's killer. And it's a really phenomenal arc to show how obsessed Anakin can get. And this is him getting close. Like he, he gets dark side ish and it's because it's not Padme. Um, but, but best it of intentions, how, it,
1: it is born of his love for someone.
0: It, but exactly. But it shows how his love for the few can be the only thing that can be his downfall. Yeah um and only thing that can save him as well um but also when ahsoka departs the jedi order that's another incredible anakin moment because you see just how crushed and confused he is and how it's out of his hands and it's it's some of the most vulnerable you will you ever get to see anakin uh, aside from those well especially in the clone wars because you get his most vulnerable moments are the ones george lucas decided to highlight on in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Uh, And that's why people always say he's so mopey and whiny. Well, yes, if someone picks your highlight reels of like your saddest and worst days ever, you're going to look like a bit of a whiny tool too. Yes. Uh, And then the other one is when he fights off a bunch of Zygerian slavers. Uh, And so he has R2 store his lightsaber uh, the same way that uh, he stored it for Luke. And uh, he gives him a salute. And, of course, we Hell all know yeah. Anakin's love for slavers. Ah. And so it is a badass moment. It it's is one personal. of the coolest sequences uh, in all the Clone Wars. It was maybe one of the first times that I, like, when I was watching it, got, like, what? And I, like, stood up when I was watching it for the very first time. And I was just blown away. Uh, season three or four. And it was like the it's when the Clone Wars is really getting great. And it was one of those moments where it was uh, it just felt like it was uh, in a movie theater kind of badassery because it was just like the moment that Luke did on Jabba's sail barge. Oh, yeah. But with a, a, a nice level of, oh, yeah, Luke did it on Tatooine he's from Tatooine scum and villainy that he's fighting off. Anakin's fighting off a bunch of slavers as a Jedi. And so it was kind of cool.
1: And what you and I decided recently is that it's not a Skywalker's move. It's R2's move.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And R2, it's R2's idea.
1: likely. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Is that, is that all you wanted to say about those characters for tonight? Yeah. Yeah, that would be it. Okay. What's going on in the news?
0: Uh, Not a ton, uh, but there's a cool uh, comic book cover of a Jedi riding a Rancor. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> that's uh, going to be kind of interesting uh, just to kind of see what the high republic's been doing and so uh, i've fallen a little bit behind in the high republic but uh, it is excellent to see the way that, that content's expanding out and uh, the reviews have consistently been high and so that makes me make me very happy uh, and i'm excited to, to catch up and i'll get probably more reading done in the summer i always prefer to just kind of like lay out in the balcony and just uh close my eyes, and listen to an audiobook. And so it's a little cold for that now, but it'll be better soon. Nice. Um, There are some photos leaked to show a lot of Imperials on the set of the Cassian Andor show. Uh, That's no surprise at all. Some of them are dressed in similar uniforms to Palpatine's uh, Advisors. Some of them are dressed in similar uniforms to Krennic. Uh, So I don't think that really means a whole lot, but it's just a bunch of Imperials. Uh, the Star Wars uh, Legends collection, the essential Legends collections of books. So they kind of uh, Star Wars highlights like these are the the Legends books that we want to give a special shout out to sort of. And so they've uh, pointed out to like Timothy Zahn's Heir of the Empire trilogy with introduced Thrawn. And uh, they're going to be using probably some concepts of that in. Uh, the, so the, the Mando verse that they're creating. Uh, and they gave out uh, kind of a shout-out to Darth Bane in the past with Drew Carpecian's books, and because they even brought that stuff up in um, the prequel trilogy with uh, The Rule of Two and The Clone Wars and whatnot. Uh, and so uh, other books that will be going into that will be Rogue Squadron and Darth Plagueis. And so I think that's great. Uh, it also shows Rogue Squadron makes sense with a movie, coming based off of that kind of legend material. It makes me potentially intrigued that maybe the connections we've been hoping to see between the Acolyte and Darth Plagueis are indeed true as well, and that they're selecting books uh, that are chosen as inspirations for content that they're doing. And that's why they're making them essential legends, because they're inspirations for all things that are to come or are currently in the works. And so it would make a lot of sense. Also, there's been tons of Darth Bane rumors since a few years ago that that was a show that was in uh, development. So it could be interesting that that one may be one that's on a bit of the back burner as well, uh, or one that could be explored in terms of lore wise in the acolyte too because that would could be a lot about the rule of two so it could make a lot of sense with that as well
1: wow okay that's a lot of information a lot of niche star wars stuff in there
0: it is but it just means like some potential thoughts around we could learn more about darth Plagueis, and that's the character that we all want to learn more they gotta do that palpatine's younger life we really gotta learn more yeah i think i agree is that all you got uh, only other thing in the news would be something that uh, I had an idea for years ago. It's kind of thing is like this. This is how you would do it, and then Disney made a patent, uh, and I saw it. I was like, oh, oh, that's 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 exactly what I was looking for. And they finally showed it in uh, an investor meeting, and uh, it's using the concept of a tape measure. Because what did we all do as a kid when you unroll a tape? When you roll a tape measure back up, it's got that amazing lightsaber suck back in. vibe. Yeah, you're talking about um, lightsabers. You then, didn't say that. Oh, I didn't mention that. Sorry, <laughs> toy lightsabers. Yeah, yeah. So that, I, I mean, forgot to mention that at the start.
1: You're you're like a collector of these like really realistic, amazing lightsaber models, and a lot of people are. Um, but now they've got a way to like make them retract. That's so cool. Fully back into
0: the hilt. Yeah. Yeah. And so the way that they did it kind of in the investor meeting, apparently blew some people's minds. There was a tweet that said, I'm, they showed us a real lightsaber. I'm literally shaking. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so it's a one small step. My guess is these are going to be chunky, ugly, expensive, made of cheap quality and a billion other things. My guess is they're going to be crap. I could be totally wrong, but it's the first step. And also, all it it won't be long before other people because the patent is actually it's an okay patent but it's not the best um way to do this because it's not even designed to be dual worthy oh yeah and so there's easy modifications you can make to make it dual worthy and it'll be brought to market by other sabersmiths around the world and they'll make some some better quality ones but the fact that uh the technology is um has finally been revealed to everybody else uh when disney makes their first few uh versions of it it'll be pretty damn impressive unless they go like completely completely balls to the walls and make sure that these are pristine but when you look at like the galaxy's edge sabers, mm. um some of them the models are very impressive but not super bright and the custom sabers are super chunky, and in my opinion, super ugly.
1: So, I mean, how could it possibly be dual-worthy if it's flexible enough to coil up, like, a tape measure inside the hilt? How could you hit it against something and not have it not flop all over the place?
0: Uh, Because of what you have within the center. So you still are going to be bringing up multiple, kind of, uh, you bring up either side, Mm. and uh, there actually have been, uh, what exactly what I, I thought would happen has already happened. You have bunch of people online uh like making 3d renderings of improvements on the patent already, already yeah and so that's exactly what i expect and it's like oh it needs to wrap fully around if you do it that way and that way you can reinforce the the sides so that when the light beam rises up in the center that it doesn't have the ability to have them wave around so it, it's you get a bunch of engineers who get to see that idea and immediately uh they'll be uh, Extremely cool. So I'm sure in a few years' time, uh, I'll be able to uh, to buy a lightsaber that uh, does exactly what we would have uh, expected a toy lightsaber to do as a kid, which is pretty damn cool. Can't
1: wait. Awesome. I want to say a couple of happy birthdays. Uh, on Thursday, April 8th, happy birthday to Katie Sackhoff. I think it's the first time I've ever wished her a happy birthday on this podcast, Bo-Katan. Nice. Uh, on Saturday, April 10th, uh, happy birthday to Daisy Ridley and Max Von Cedo. Double Force Awakens oh, nice. birthday there. And uh, this one is a little bit more than a week away, but I wanted to mention it because of the significance of of this being an Anakin Skywalker episode. Happy birthday on Monday, April 19th to Hayden Christensen as well. Oh, nice. Uh, The other week we talked about Obi-Wan and I failed to mention that it was both Obi-Wan's birthdays that week and that drove me crazy. So I wanted to make sure I got this one in when it really counted. Happy birthday, Anakin Skywalker. (laughs) Uh, listen, if you have uh, any ideas, if we missed any like glaring really significant or or super amazing Anakin Skywalker or Darth Vader moments and you want to rattle the cage or you just have any thoughts on what we mentioned already? Always feel free to email us, recorder66podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at recorder66, Uh, rate and review on your preferred podcast app, whatever that might be. We're on all the the major platforms, as well as recorder66 on YouTube. And if you're on there, please uh, like and subscribe as well. Uh, Until we are together again,
0: may the force be with you.